This Week at Hope Point. And as long as our head is surrounded by this artificial light, the sky overhead is empty of all of its glory. But if some gracious wind of the Spirit blows out these earthly artificial lights, then now we're in darkness and the heavens are now filled with stars, i.e. the glory of God. Someday God will blow out every single competing glory and make His holiness known in awesome splendor to every single humble creature. And that's why we don't live like we should. And that's why we think it can run out because we have competing glories in our lives right now. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen now as Fudd speaks to us from God's Holy Word. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Matthew 17. And while I can't promise you that this will be the top five sermons you've ever heard in your life, I can promise you that this will be the best live so far sermon you've ever heard this year. I can promise you that. Unquestionably. Matthew 17. Matthew 17. So, um, we make New Year's resolutions each year. Well, maybe almost all of us make New Year's resolutions. Uh, And as we make them, you know, we can revolve around our health. I want to eat better, eat more salads, uh, quit drinking soda, exercise, etc. And we also make them uh, around our spiritual walk. I want to read the Bible. I want to pray more. I want to be more patient with my children. Um, I'd like to uh, obey the scriptures in the way that I'm supposed to interact with my spouse, et cetera, et cetera. And all those things are good. All those things are fine. Um, I think those are fine. Uh, But what if our resolutions weren't oriented around a task list? Do these things, stop doing these things. But instead, what if our resolution this year just revolved around beholding the glory of Jesus in the face of Christ every single day? What if that was our resolution? Because it seems our motivation over the course of the year when it's a list can run out. I got this list, but I just don't feel like doing it today and I just, I don't wanna do it. But if we are daily resolving to just focus on the glory of Jesus Christ, then the task list takes care of itself. Because as I focus on Jesus, I want to read my Bible, pray, share the gospel, kill sin, etc. I want to do those things. And so our motivation then therefore is Godwardly aimed, although those things are, Godwardly aimed and unending. And so that's what we're going to do in the sermon today. That's what the goal of the sermon today is. In the text, I want to behold the glory of Jesus. This is a Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God type sermon. The application is to behold. So type A'ers, you're like, but I want something to do though. And this is not a do, this is a be. This is a sit in the moment, in the glory of Jesus and look and be in awe and that's it. We want to be Mary's, not Martha's today. Now, we need to do things. I get it. But to start off the year, as uh, Richard asked me, I was thinking perhaps just a sermon on stopping and beholding the glory of God and letting that just um, come into our heart and find ourselves all struck with his glory and let that dominate our year would be a good way to start off. In John Piper's book on preaching, he says this, Uh, telling us who preach, how to preach. I think it's good. People are starving for the greatness of God, but the majesty of God is an unknown cure to them. 
So preaching must be the portrayal of the glory of God because the goal of preaching is to change people into the likeness of God. So that's the goal of my, of my sermon today is just to try to put Jesus on display in the scriptures. So as we read it, we see just more glory and more glory. So the goal of today is to put it on display so that we can be in awe of who he is. So let's ask this question. <clears throat> What does beholding the glory and majesty of God, of Jesus, um, really do each day in the life of the believer? What does that do? If I, if I set aside to where I'm going to behold his glory, what does that do? Because my premise is this. We will become like what we behold. So I, I've got a bunch of kids, right? But I can remember, you know, a little bit ago when one of them was five, every time I would come home from work, uh, he would see what I have on and run and go put the same thing that I have on and follow me around because children become like what they behold. If you have children, you know, they become like what they behold, good or bad. <laughs> they will start imitating us, right? And so it's the same for us um, with Christ. We become more like what we behold. Now, I want to put some Bible under this so you don't just think this is just a sounding good premise, but a, a thing that's actually in the scriptures. Second Corinthians Chapter three, verse 18. We all, with unveiled face, here it is, beholding the glory of the Lord are, so when we do that, we are being transformed into the same image. When we behold, we will become. So that's amazing. This word uh, being transformed is the Greek word metamorpho. It's where our English word metamorphosis comes from. So as we behold, we are literally being transformed in a continual process more and more into the image of God. I think that we would all say, yes, I want to be transformed. Please, I, I know my struggles every day. I want to be more like Christ. Okay, sign me on. And I'm saying then, behold. Now, I want to show you something um, that's extraordinary in this particular verse. And you get it in the second service and first didn't because of time. All right, so here we are. This is, in the Greek, there's an extra little parenthetical and I think this is absolutely amazing. It says this, and we all with unveiled face beholding, quote, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. Now, I wanna feel the weight of the encouragement of this because it's mind-blowing. When you look in a mirror, what do you see? You see yourself. But notice what, what Paul is telling us here. And we all with un unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. So what he's saying is, when you are looking into a mirror, you're actually seeing yourself, but you get to see the glory of the Lord literally working in your life as you behold Jesus as in a mirror. You see yourself, but you see the glory of the Lord. And as you see the glory of the Lord work in your life, it becomes so amazingly encouraging. You're like, I see myself, but I see Jesus because of Jesus, because he saved me. That's amazing. And now I want to more and more go be transformed into the same image and become more like him and more like him and more like him. That's, that's unbelievable. That Paul tells us by the power of the Holy Spirit, that when we behold in the mirror, we're literally seeing Christ's glory working in us. And so we see the actual catalyst, which is beholding the glory of the Lord. And this, is, this beholding, this is a little geeky, uh, it's in the present passive middle participle. Present as in, it's always happening now. We're always beholding, right now, right 
Now, I'm still beholding. Passive middle means passive is happening to us, but middle, and we're also participating in it. God and man working together. We're beholding, we're beholding. Participle, I-N-G, meaning happening continually. So I'm always presently, continually beholding the glory of God, and he's helping me do that, and that's transforming me more and more into his image. That's just, it's astounding. It's unbelievable. And so today's sermon is an attempt for us to behold the glory and majesty of God and be bought into this year is the day that I want to behold the glory of God every single day because we become like what we behold. We become like what we behold. So Matthew 17, verse one. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up to the high mountain by themselves. And here it is. He was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. Now, John MacArthur, speaking of this transfiguration, says that it is the greatest revelation of Jesus Christ yet. In his lifetime, it is the greatest revelation of who he is and the greatest event between his birth and his death and resurrection. You've got all these things that he did, miracles, etc. This was the greatest event of it because they got to literally see the glory of the Lord. And it says that he was transfigured before them. Now, in the parallel account, Luke tells us exactly when it happened. It says that they were sleeping, the three disciples were sleeping when Jesus was praying and then he became transfigured. Now, I think that that's funny. <laughs> the Bible can be funny sometimes, but if you, if you read it uh, in Luke 9, it says, and as they were praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but they became fully awake and they saw his glory. That is one way to wake up your friends. You know, whenever you are <laughs> really wanting them to stay awake with you, he didn't do this later on in the garden, but he did do it here. He woke them. Can you imagine waking up to Jesus fully transfigured before them. That would be quite an experience. Now, what does the transfiguration look like? Now, I'm gonna take um, all three parallel accounts in Matthew 17 and Luke 9 and Mark, Mark 9 to try to put it all together so we can see the descriptions of these men grasping at language to just to try to explain to us what this means when they say the transfiguration took place. What does it look like? So here it is. Um, I'm going to read you Matthew and then I've got the other two. So Matthew says, his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. So you can just kind of picture Matthew and Luke and Mark. They're all kind of talking with each other and Mark's, Matthew's like, you know, I, I want to describe it and I, I just had no language and so I know that like when I look at the sun for like five seconds, I'll go blind and so when I looked at him, it was just bright like the sun. It was like the sun just came out of his head and exploded out. That's, that's what it was like and Luke's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good one. You know what? Whenever I thought, I thought the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. Now, dazzling in the English uh, doesn't get it forth. In Greek, it says, flash forth like the lightning. So Luke's like, you know when you're in the dark and you're walking around and all of a sudden it's raining and psh, the lightning strikes and it fills up the entire skies and you're just like scared to death. And that's what it was like for me. Yours was the sun and mine was, mine was like lightning. And Mark, who struggles with detail, he just struggled. He's like your 15-year-old son. When you say, hey, how was your day? He's like, good. <laughs> What'd you do? Nothing. That's Mark. Mark, he just struggles with detail. And he's like, so Mark, uh, what was yours like? And he's like, you know, it was like Clorox. 
Um, his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Mark's like, uh, you know, like when your baseball pants are dirty and you give a new rom, Cloroxes them, they're so white. It was like that. All right, Mark. Details, buddy. Um, so anyway, so we see this. It's like the fullness uh, of all. So we've got the sun. We've got lightning. We've got bleach. And we, he's, they're just grasping at language, trying to help us understand. Now, this is the most amazing part. This was not his fullness of glory. This was as much as they could handle and not kill them. And they're using this language. So just imagine how unending his glory really is. What do we mean by transfigured? So what's, what's actually happened? That's the language they're trying to grasp at to give us an understanding. This is what's going on. So we know Jesus is the God-man and he has a deity nature and a human nature. And so this is an outward visible sign of Jesus' inmost nature. It's an illumination from within of his deity out to them. It's literally the glory of God inside of him now becoming unveiled. And he did this for them so that they would know that he is the King, the Messiah, the Son of God. And he gave them a taste of his glory, which leads us um, to the first point I want us to see. Four traits of Jesus' glory to behold. Behold the boundless, unending glory of Jesus. Unending is crucial for us to understand. We need to understand that his glory is unending. It's boundless. I'll get to the practical reason of why. But here, the glory is made known to them. Before we unpack the unending part, I just want us to rehearse together the difference between reflecting and um, revealing. Because in, on the mountain, uh, when Moses asked God, in Exodus 33, Moses says, God, show me your glory. I want to see it. And God's like, basically, I can't. It will kill you. So I'm going to hide you in the rock. I'm going to pass by. I'm going to give you a little coverage. I'm just going to show you my back. And that's it. Uh, that's all you can handle. And it says after that, when Moses just had that, he went down and he reflected the glory of God on them. When they saw him, his face was shining around them. That's reflection. That is not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is not reflecting the glory of God. Jesus is revealing the glory of God. When Jesus transfigured himself, he was revealing that he is God. He now reveals divine glory. And the key word between these two is reflect and reveal. Jesus is not reflecting divine glory or proclaiming divine glory. Jesus is the revelation of divine glory. Jesus doesn't mirror the glory of God or imitate the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. And that is the difference here. Moses was with God and shown Jesus from within, transfigured, and showed who he really was. That's why John writes later on when he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. John's recounting the transfiguration as the only glory from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I said unending and boundless is important. Why? Why? When we see them grasping at language like lightning and sun and Clorox, and it's just so vivid, they can't they can't get it to us. Why is the unending part so important for me today? Because this. All of us, um, as humans, because we have a corrupt human nature, will get bored of the most beautiful thing in the world. You can go to the Grand Canyon, and I mean, I've never been there. I imagine you can really stare there at it for a long time, but you can't stare at it of eternity. Eventually, you and I both will get bored. I've seen this, I've done it, 
I want to go get a burger. I want to go somewhere else. And if the glory of Jesus is like that, then in eternity, we will get bored and it won't be amazing to us anymore. And that's not possible. So it's unending in that it's never going to come to a time where it's going to be in. The more and more you stare at it, the more and more you're transformed, and the more and more you're transformed, the more and more you want to see. Unending. How does that FUD help me this coming Tuesday? How does knowing that the glory of God being boundless unending help me this coming Tuesday when my job's hectic at home, and things are hectic at home, I struggle reading my Bible, I don't pray, and I can't even fight the sin anymore? Give me on the ground and tell me how the boundless, unending glory helps me this week. And I just pray, Lord, that could we get this, that every day would be unbelievably changed if we could get this. Me too, me too. I'm gonna quote Piper, quoting Edwards, to help us, I'm sorry, I know, that help us understand forever beholding the glory of God every day is eternally relevant tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday, every day. All of eternity, now he, he's gonna explain beholding the glory of God like walking up a mountain. All of eternity, beginning right now in this world, is like mountain climbing in the Alps of the glory of God. As in, you see glory, you're just unbelievably astounded by it, and all you wanna do is climb the mountain to get closer to glory. And as you get there, you, it kind of falls away, and then you see more glory, and that doesn't exhaust you. You're not like, oh man, I thought I was here. You're like, whoa! more mercies, more glory. Now I'm going to keep going. This is how he says it. It's as if you look up a mountain range to the glory of God and you see a peak and devote yourself to climbing through meditation, prayer, study, obedience, worship, fellowship. You move up for 10 to 15 to 20 years and you're approaching the peak of that site that you've got of the glory of his holiness and the glory of his mercy. And when you come to that top, you're 49 years old, which that's funny, I am that now. Um, and you grab the top of that and you come over and there falls away from you the huge, huge endless ravine of glacier rising up to another peak that disappears into the clouds. Then in a thousand years or so, you climb that one and with growing understanding of his glory and grace, you pull yourself over that edge with an exhilaration of accomplishment and fulfillment and there falls away before you another vast array of beauty. Mountain ranges upon mountain ranges rising up into endless skies and we will spend all eternity growing in our understanding of Jesus. That's what unending means. This is heaven, boundless glory. There will never be a time where Jesus runs out of new glories for us to behold and our hearts to say, amazing, more, ever. Now, why do we get bored now? Because in heaven, that's true. But we're not there yet. We don't have our glorified bodies. Our minds haven't been fully brought into fullness of Christ-likeness. Why does that happen? And I think this is why. I think this is why we live like he's run out of glory. I think it's boring now. I'm gonna use an illustration from a guy named Soren Kierkegaard. He lived in the 1800s. And so, you know, it's an 1800 illustration. It's an illustration of competing glories that we can allow to happen in our life. He says, we're like people who ride out in a carriage at night into the country to see the glory of God. So you're in the carriage. Close your eyes if you need. You're in the carriage. It's dark everywhere. Clippity-clop, clippity-clop. The horses are taking us out there in the carriage. We're sitting in there. And he says, you ride out to see the glory of God. But inside the carriage, right above us on either side of the carriage seat burns a gas lantern. And as long as our head is surrounded by this artificial light, the sky overhead is empty of all of its glory. 
But if some gracious wind of the spirit blows out these earthly artificial lights, then now we're in darkness and the heavens are now filled with stars, i.e. the glory of God. Someday God will blow out every single competing glory and make his holiness known in awesome splendor to every single humble creature. And that's why we don't live like we should. And that's why we think it can run out because we have competing glories in our lives right now. What are the gas lanterns in your life? What are they? Arguing endlessly on social media about things that don't matter. Watching too much streaming services of pointless banal movies when you could read the word. These things are not, they don't, they don't have to be bad, but they can be. And they certainly can draw us away. They can be competing glories. Pray that the Spirit would come and destroy these competing, competing glories. As Charles Spurgeon notes, our highest joy on earth is to see Jesus. Behold today the boundless, unending glory of Jesus. That's number one. Verse three. And behold, there appeared to Jesus, Moses to them, to Jesus and the disciples, Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. You just gotta love Peter, right? It's all a moment about Jesus and hey, it's good that I'm here. I'll explain that. If you wish, I'll make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is God the Father, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So here we are. Verse three, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah. Is that really possible? Because I thought we get our glorified bodies at the second coming and now, you know, absent from the body, present with the Lord in some kind of spirit, feel, kind of soul until then. Yes, he can because God can, if God can create ex nihilo out of nothing in the beginning, then he can form Moses and form Elijah and give them a, a heavenly, a, a human body at that particular point right there in front of them. So absolutely, he can do this. Why Moses and Elijah? Because Moses represents the law, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the giving of the law. Elijah is one of the prophets, the one that never died. He represents kind of the, the core of all the prophets. And so you've got the Old Testament law uh, of Moses, the one who the law brought death. You've got Elijah, the prophet who speaks hope of the coming Messiah. And then you have Jesus as Matthew 5, 17 says, I didn't, Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law and prophets, but to fulfill them. So you've got the bringer of the law who brought death. You've got the giver of sp spoken hope through the prophets and the actual giver of life, Jesus Christ, all there. And it says, and behold, there appeared Moses and Elijah talking with them. Matthew, give me more. What are they saying? Talking with them, are you kidding me? Thank you, Dr. Luke, because you actually tell me what they're saying and Matthew left me hanging. What are they saying? He's talking with them. I wanna know the contents of the conversation. Luke 9.31 says, here it is. As they were speaking, they spoke of his, that's Jesus, spoke of his coming departure that he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Just a, a few verses before, Jesus had just told his disciples, I have to go to Jerusalem. I have to go to the cross. They're going to put me to death for the sins of the world. And you know, Peter's like, no. And he's like, all right, behind me, Satan. I, I got to do it. And so we actually have the contents of the conversation. Now, this is where it gets awesome because that word departure can also be translated exodus. 
talking to Moses about his coming exodus. Moses, you know, remember that exodus where you took the people out of sin, I mean, out of slavery to to Egypt and brought them into the promised land? Well, right at the touch of the promised land and Joshua took them in. Hey, you know what? I'm gonna do the same thing. But I'm the truer and better Moses. I'm gonna take people out of slavery to sin, not slavery to Egypt, slavery to sin, and bring them into the promised land of heaven. They're literally having, this is amazing. Of all the things at the transfiguration that Jesus and Moses and Elijah could be talking about, they're talking about the gospel. They're talking about the good news of Jesus. Gospelicious conversation, the most ever happening right here. And I'm just thinking, okay, and I told you I wouldn't give you application, but behold, here's one one little point. If at the transfiguration, Moses and Elijah and Jesus take time to discuss the gospel, you know where I'm going. In our conversations with our family, our community, our people, we should too. We should have a lot of gospel talk in our community all the time. So they're talking with in verse four, and Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. Uh, if you wish, I'll make three tents, one for you, Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, how does Peter know that it's Moses and Elijah. And that's easy, name tags. They had name tags. It's just Moses, I'm just kidding. It's probably not that. I think Peter had a really good picture Bible when he was a kid. And he's like, oh, that's Moses. Obviously the answer, Calvin says the answer is easy. God gave them an extraordinarily ability to know. So that's it. God just let them know. Um, <clears throat> but Peter, th- when, you see this ver- when you see a verse that starts off with says, and Peter said, <laughs> you're like, you know, ready, fire, aim's gonna talk. It's 50-50 shot if this is a good idea. Um, and so he says, it's good that we're here. I'm gonna make three tents. Now, I don't think that Peter's like, it's so good that I'm here. I am an expert tent maker. You're lucky. I think it's more like, I think it's more like, of all the things that I could get to experience in my life, Jesus lets me see this And that is so good. Like, that's amazing. What a blessing. I think it's that. I think it's like, wow, it's good that we get to be here. Wow. I think it's that. Just to give him the benefit of the doubt. But um, he says, I want to make three tents. Is he just trying to be hospitable? Is Is he really good at making tents? Is he trying to impress Moses and Elijah? What's going on here? I think that what's going on is this. Notice he doesn't say towels. Let me get three towels out, three blankets, just clear three spaces of earth. He picks tents, hearkening back to the Feast of Booths. But I think there's a little bit more going on. Like he's in a moment. Moments when you're face to face with the glory of Jesus matter and Peter knows that. We've had those. There's been a moment in your life in college or after college or on a mission trip or on a camp or when you're just reading the Bible one morning, that moment, you just want that to be longer God, could this be, I don't want to do the next thing. I need this to be longer. This moment is unbelievable. So it's Thursday night at youth camp. The preacher just preached. The worship band's good. Everybody's crying. Everybody's getting saved. And everybody's like, I'm never going to sin again, ever. And like, uh, uh, this is the moment. Everybody's like, I just wish Thursday night would last longer. I don't want to go back home. I think Peter's like, let's just stay here. There's a whole lot of trouble down the mountain can we just be here? And Jesus is like, there's always work down the mountain. And no matter what, you got to go home from camp. You got to walk down the mountain. There's too much work in the mission field. But moments matter. Moments matter. And so Peter is aware of this and he wants to keep it there, but that's not the Lord's will. 
But he says, it's good that we hear. And like I said, I don't think that was bad intentions. He sees Moses, I mean, a patriarch of Israel for the last 1400 years. Elijah, a patriarch of Israel for the last 900 years. And I think he sees him and he's just good. Let me build. He's just kind of geeking out. Like when Buddy the Elf knows Santa's coming. Like he's looking, he's like, this is amazing. It's Moses and Elijah. And so he just thinks this is amazing. But the idea is a bad idea. It's a bad idea. I don't think he realizes it, but he says, what I want to do is make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And this is bad because Jesus, as the book of Hebrews tells us, is superior to them. It's not put them on a level playing field, three tents. Let's put them all here. It's Jesus and everybody else. And as he's speaking, he's saying, let's make three tents, almost trying to put them on like, here we go. There's three things. And if you're speaking, and this ever happens to you, and God the Father interrupts you from talking, (laughs) then what you're saying is probably not good. Watch. It says, uh, one for you, one for Moses, for Elijah, and you can just hear him, and then we can, and then we can, and, then, and he says, and he was still speaking, and behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, a voice came from the Lord saying, so he interrupts and this bad idea and says, no, it's not a level playing field. It's Jesus, and that's it. Jesus is the only one. Don't put him on a level playing field because Acts 4.12, and there's salvation in no one else for there is no name given among heaven by which we must be saved. John 14.6, I am, Jesus speaking, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Or Isaiah 42.8, I'm the Lord, that is my name. I don't give my glory to anyone else, just for me. And so while he's speaking, God interrupts and says what he says to kind of correct him, which I think leads us into our second trait of what's something I want us to behold, which is the exclusivity of Jesus. It's Jesus and that's it. No one else. So all the glory belongs to him alone. No one else is worthy. What does beholding the exclusivity of Jesus mean for me today? The, the mission here at Hope Point, this first one is to applaud God. That means that whenever we are here, our heart's applause is to be given to Jesus and Jesus alone. And when we walk out the doors and we're living our lives, our heart's applause is to be given to Jesus and Jesus alone. It means that he's our savior and that's it. We're exclusively devoted to one king, King Jesus. Behold, the exclusivity of Jesus means to allow yourself to be in awe of this great savior and be exclusive only with him with your time. Make your whole life about worshiping Jesus Christ. Be intentional to continually, daily behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus in the scriptures every day. More on the scriptures part. But that's what it means. Now, God the Father interrupted And when he interrupted, I want to look at the content of what he said. So the interruption leads us to the exclusivity. What's the content of what he says? He says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, he said the exact same thing at the baptism. Matthew 3, 17. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And that leads us to the third thing I want us to see, which is this. Behold the love of the father for Jesus. Behold the love of the Father for Jesus. Now, that's an interesting thing to be told to behold. Why would we behold the love of the Father for Jesus? 
we just got told that we want to see. Um, and, and number two, the exclusivity of Jesus. And he's saying, I love my son for obeying me completely. I love him for coming to earth. I love that he's the Christ. I love that he's going to, I'm well pleased that he's going to be the one who goes to the cross and is resurrected and is going to save the world from their sins. I love him. And we should think to ourselves, what does this mean? Why, why is it good for me to behold how much God the Father loves God the Son? And here's why. Because the more we think about the love of God the Father for the Son, the more we understand the love of the Son for us. That's just not my opinion. Well, John 15, 9. John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Just, just pause with me and conceive if we can. How much does God the Father love God the Son? Just pause and ponder that. I mean, it's infinite. You can't, you can't even come up with it. How much? And then Jesus tells us, as the Father has loved me, I've loved you. That's astounding. It's unbelievable. And so... It's good for us to think on that. That's mind-blowing to understand. The more we understand God's love for Jesus, the more we understand his love for us. And then he adds, Behold, my, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And then he says, listen to him. That fulfills the prophecy of Deuteronomy 18, 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers, and it is him you shall listen. God the Father saying, that prophecy from from old, is being fulfilled in your very eyes right here at the transfiguration. <clears throat> As Charles Spurgeon says, it's better to hear from the Son of God than to see Old Testament saints or build tabernacles. Enjoy Jesus and listen to him. So when God the Father speaks, what happens? Verse six, listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. So in John, in Revel, we've been going through Revelation. Revelation 1, when John falls on his face, that was time two. <laughs> this is the first. The disciples heard this. They fell on their faces and they were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and said, rise, have no fear. When they lifted their eyes, they saw none but Jesus. So they were terrified when God spoke. Calvin says, when the majesty of God, as soon as we perceive him, when the, the majesty of God, as soon as that we perceive him, we must unavoidably cast all of us down. But what does Jesus do for them in their fear? Did you see what he did? They're fearful. They're on their faces. And Jesus came and he touched them. I don't want to spiritualize and over-spiritualize that too much, but that is just a very sweet phrase. He came down for this very reason that we would have no fear and be able to go boldly into the presence of God the Father. Some of us need to hear this today, that Jesus is right there with you right now in your difficult situation and he wants to touch that situation. You should not fear. This terrible time in your life right now, he's there. You're caught up in sin. You know that you need to be forgiven. Jesus is there. Repent, believe, turn to him, confess your sin and be forgiven. And when he comes, he does something about your situation. And only he can do this. He comes and makes lasting, significant, impactful change. And this change salvation has now given you the ability to boldly enter into the presence of God on a daily basis and see God in the face of Christ. And there's no terror. Whenever I'm at home, my little three-year-old, 
he has full access to just walk right up and just plop down in my lap. Now, if Todd, you did that, it would be weird, right? If Todd just came and sat in my lap, that'd be weird, right? But my three-year-old has this access. And this is the type of access we have to walk right up to him without fear. That's what this is telling us. We have no fear. And this is just my pastoral heart saying, I wanna let you know that Jesus loves you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to enter your life right now and make this massive, significant, life-changing, lasting forgiveness. All of your new affections, all of your new delights will be now in godly things. And this comes by repentance and believing. And this mercy and forgiveness is waiting for you. You can only find it in Jesus, which leads us to our last trait. Number four, behold Jesus. What it says, they saw no one but Jesus. And you're like, Fudd, that's a bit redundant. Um, It just says, behold Jesus. Right. I didn't want to focus on traits of God this time. I just wanted to bring it all down to him. No one but Jesus. So we focus on the man, the God man, who he is. God the Father has given us Christ and we look to him alone. You put your uh, trust and faith in him for salvation and all of your affections are gone and you just focus on him. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. Oh, that we may have eyes. Oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, that we may have eyes. uh, Oh, that we may have the eyes in our minds so fixed on the Lord as our one object that he may fill the whole vision and we may see Jesus only. So a good question for you to ask is, how do I do that? I want to do that every day, Fudd. You got me. I'm bought in. I want to make this year about just beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus every day. And I've said, you do that in the scriptures. Okay, here is how you do it. Peter later on wrote about this. He wrote about being at the mountain of transfiguration. And when he does, he says, for all of you who said, if I could just see Jesus, like really face to face see him, then I would believe. He says this, I was there and you have a better, more sure thing than the transfiguration and that is the Bible. Is that true? That's what Peter says. I want you to read it with me. He says this, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven and we were with him on the holy mountain. That's Peter saying I was there. I was there at the transfiguration. Now watch this. And we have the prophetic word more fully conformed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's interpretation. And here's how the Bible's written. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They're writing by the power of the spirit with their own personalities. I just want to make sure you heard what Peter just said. He just said, yes, my experience on that mountaintop was glorious. I was an eyewitness to his majesty, but the even more sure thing is scripture. The prophetic word of God is like a lamp shining brightly in the middle of the darkness. Listen to that. You want to see glory. You want to see the glory of Jesus on a daily basis. Read the word, study the word, because he tells us in John 5, you search the scriptures because you think in them they can have eternal life by following lists. The scriptures are about me. And since they're about Jesus, the whole Bible is about him. If we want to see glory, we want to behold glory, meditate on the word, memorize the word, and you will see his glory every day and you will love it more and more. 
The word of God is revealed in scripture and Peter says it's a more certain experience than even this exceptional vision on the mountainside. Behold. I want to conclude with this. Charles Spurgeon tells us about the power of beholding in his own uh, conversion story. It was, when, I hear, when you hear the word look, just be, substitute the word behold. January 6, 1950, Spurgeon was not even 16 years old. It was a very, 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 very snowy day and he was going to a church and he couldn't make it to his church so he had to stop at the first one he could get because it was snowing so bad. And the pastor of that church wasn't even there and a deacon stood up, um, not the most eloquent, he says, and preaches. And he preaches one verse. Here's, here he says, uh, I sometimes think I, about the darkness and despair I'd been until, until the goodness of God, sending a snowstorm on one Sunday morning when I was, I was going to a certain place of worship. I couldn't go any further. I turned down a side street and I came to this little primitive Methodist church. And in that chapel, there may have been maybe a dozen people. The minister didn't even come that morning because he was snowed in. And I suppose at last, a very thin looking man to shoemaker or tailor or something of that sort went up to the pulpit to preach. He was obliged to stick to that one text. Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Isaiah 45, 22. He didn't even pronounce the words rightly, but that didn't matter. There was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in that text. The preacher began saying thus, my friends, this is a simple text indeed. Look or behold. Now, look and don't take a good deal of pain. It ain't lifting your foot or finger. It's just look or behold. When a man need to go to college to learn to look, nope. And you may be the biggest fool, but you can still look. A man needn't worth a thousand years to be able to look. Anyone can look, even a child can look. But the text says even further, look unto me. Many of you are looking to yourselves, you're looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. Some look to God the Father. No, look to him by and by, Jesus Christ. Look, behold, Jesus. Some of you say, I'm waiting for the spirit to work. You have no business. Look to Christ. The text says, look unto Christ, behold him. Then the good man followed up this text and he looked at me and I'm sweating drops of blood. Look to me, I'm hanging on the cross. Look to me, I'm dared and buried. Look to me, I'm rising again. Look to me, I'm sending into heaven. Look to me, I'm sitting at the right hand of the Father. Oh, pointer sinner, look to me. This is Jesus talking to him. And he says, he had gone about in length and he managed to spin out 10 minutes or so and he was at the end of his tether. And when he looked at me under the gallery, I dare say with a few present, he knew me to be a stranger and he fixed his eyes on me. And if he knew with all of his heart, he looked at me, looked at Spurgeon, he said, young man, you look miserable. <laughs> well, I did, and I had not been accustomed to have such remarks to made to me while I was in the pulpit, um, while someone was in the pulpit. However, it was a blow that struck right home, and he continued, you'll always be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death if you don't obey my text. Obey it right now. Look to Christ and be saved. And then he said this, and lifting up his hands, he shouted as only a primitive Methodist could, young man, look, behold Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but look and live. I saw at once the way of salvation. I know that, I know not what else he said. I didn't even take much notice. I was so possessed at the one thought. So it was with me. I'd been waiting to do 50 things, but when I heard that word, look or behold, what a charming word it seemed to be. And I looked until my eyes could not look away. And then and there, that cloud was gone, the darkness had rolled away, and that moment I saw the sun, Matthew 17, 2. And I could have risen in that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of them all, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the simple faith which looks alone to Him. And now I can say, ere since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wound supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be until I die. Church, Let's make 2024 the year we behold Christ and see everything that he's going to do in us and through us. 
We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.